0: As uh, Dave said, this is our last week in this kind of topical series, uh, Respectable Sins, uh, Neglected Virtues. Next week, we get back to our core business of just stepping through a book of the Bible, stepping through the book of Genesis. Uh, So if you've joined us in the last five or six weeks, you've joined us at an unusual time. Uh, Next week, we get back into what we always do as we read God's Word and see just what it has to say to us and what it has to challenge us in. But now we'll pray and we'll get into... Our final topic, self-control, in this series. Let's pray. Our Gracious Father, we thank you again for your word. Please, as we come to read it and as we come to reflect on it, give us hearts that are humble. Help us to hear your truth. Help us to respond with faith and obedience. and Help us to rejoice that there are great encouragements, yet also great challenges in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our world has this real kind of uh, love-hate relationship with the topic of self-control. I wonder if you've noticed this before. See, on the one hand, people in our world, they say, freedom matters most. It's all about self-fulfillment. Be yourself. Be true to yourself. You be you. Look after number one and a thousand other catchphrases that you can think of. Uh, But then they also say, but you can't be a jerk. And you can't, you can't hurt other people, and you, can't, you have to do this for your family. And in the workplace, we well, you have to be a team player, so you can't be yourself there. So they kind of say one thing and then the other thing at the same time. Or with one breath, our world says, do what you want, when you want, eat what you want, drink what you want, spend your day off or all your time, however you want. But then they, then they also say, oh, but you've got to care about your diet, you know, you've got to make sure you're exercising. You've got to make sure you're disciplined. Otherwise, how can you be happy and successful? And, uh, you know, people judge. We talked about judgmentalism last week. You get judged if you're not like that. So our world kind of swings from have no self-control to self-control is everything. <laughs> Discipline is what it's all about. Uh, so when do you be self-controlled? I, I can't really tell if you listen to the world, except... For one answer. The only answer they have for being self-controlled is when it's good for you. When it serves you, the only self-control that they want is self-interested self-control. Or maybe, maybe to really avoid harming someone, but really it's more about yourself. What's the message of that kind of advice? The message is love yourself first. Love yourself more than others That's the horrible world that we live in. That's the horrible nature of our sinful hearts left to their own devices. So we're up to our last week in our series, Respectable Sins, Neglected Virtues. Now we're thinking about self-control and the lack of self-control. That's what we're thinking about today. Uh, But even though it's our last week, we, we have to, we must remember our very first week, because these sermons, they're not just some nice advice for being a bit better in life or being a bit more successful and happy. See, if you're here and you're someone who's not a Christian, if you don't uh, love and trust in Jesus, then you might listen to these talks and you might think, well, I like some of the sound of those things that they've been saying. Uh, you know, If you're here and you think, hey, I'm going I'm to try that out. you know, I heard about that thing about grumbling or that thing about contentment. I want to be better at that, so I'm going to give that a go. I'm going to take that technique and try it. In my life. If that's you, you're not a Christian and you think like that, by all means, take what you want from what happens here. Uh, But I want to say to you, that's not what these sermons have been about. See, these sermons have not been about self-improvement. They have not been about getting more successful and happy in life. They've been about repentance. They've been about turning away from so-called acceptable sins and turning to jesus see the way we deal with sin big or small is not to try and be better but to turn to jesus and say i can't be better i can't even be good i'm helpless i'm hopeless without you jesus without you dying for my sin and rising to justify us to make us righteous and we're not saying please don't hear this please don't hear us saying that if you do these good and virtuous things god will like you more And you, because you're more religious or more kind or whatever it is, we have to remember that first week in our series. The starting point for dealing with sin, the starting point and every other point is grace. You can't earn God's love, He simply chooses to give it. That's the wonderful thing about it. It's all about grace. It's turning to Jesus in faith to accept the free gift of salvation, forgiveness, justification, the Holy Spirit, eternal life, and so much more. And it's then, and only then, that as a child of God, as a new person in Christ, it's then that you work to put off sin and to put on godliness with the help of the Holy Spirit in you. So if you're not a christian you're here and you've been thinking or investigating and you're not a christian don't take the practical advice from these talks don't try to have less vices and more virtues turn to jesus instead take that advice first hand your whole life over to him he is the lord of everything he is your lord and he loves those who come to him in repentance and faith become a follower of jesus get that right first Be forgiven by God and then work these things out in your life, out of love for him, for his glory. But even if you are a Christian, how easy is it uh, for us to forget? We need to remember, if we're forgiven by God, always remember and never forget grace. God's overflowing and abundant kindness. Undeserved, and it is his gift. I've heard it put like this, The only sin that we can actually do something about is forgiven sin. So you can't do anything about your sin on your own. It's only when you realize that your sin is forgiven that you are free to put it off. If you trust in Christ, your sin is forgiven. Jesus paid for it on the cross. So bring it to the light. Don't keep it in the darkness. Don't try to hide it from Jesus. You can bring it to him and then you can actually deal with it. You can actually put it off and you can actually put on the godliness that he requires, that he desires with his help. The starting point and every point is grace. But that's enough of a recap. The rest of our time is focusing on our topic of self-control. So have a look at your outline. You'll see where we're going. We're going to get into the neglected virtue of self-control. We'll do that later. Uh, but first, as we've been doing each week, we first delve into the respectable sin. We dig into it, we we ask what it is, what's behind it, why do we do it? So let's think about the sin, the sin of a lack of self-control. What is the sin of a lack of self-control? Now often when we talk about not being self-controlled, what are we or what are people in our world talking about? Uh, Often we say, I'm not being very self-controlled this week. What do we mean by that? We mean, I ate too much pizza and now I have indigestion. Or we mean, I'm on a diet, but I just couldn't help myself. I had to have that piece of cake or that chocolate biscuit. Or we mean, I stay up too late watching TV and scrolling on my phone. Or in the morning, I just keep hitting snooze instead of getting up and exercising. Or we we say, uh, you know, I know I'm meant to be working or studying, but I just keep putting it off and procrastinating. That's often what we mean when we talk about self-control, being ill-disciplined having bad habits, making little bad decisions in life, and then we suffer the consequences. Now, it's not like those things are totally unimportant. Uh, Diet, exercise, sleep, time management, uh, they all have their place, and a wise and godly Christian will think about those and, and make decisions about them. But the thing is, different Christians will make different decisions about those things, and that's okay. What matters more is why you make those decisions, and God actually cares why cares about your motivation for all those small decisions, even if they're just simple practical life decisions. But that's not, having said all that, that's not what we're talking about today. It's not sin in and of itself to give in to the urge to eat a chocolate biscuit. Because if that was the case, I'm the worst sinner in the room because I love chocolate biscuits. Now instead, what is the Bible talking about when it talks about self-control or the lack of self-control? It's not talking about being healthy or unhealthy. It's not talking about being successful or being a bit hopeless. It's talking about sin and godliness. It's talking about honoring God or dishonoring him. It's talking about giving in to sinful desires that have serious and eternal consequences. Let's look at just a few examples of how the scriptures talk about this. We can trivialize a lack of self-control. We joke about it, but listen to how God takes it when it comes to sin. We've got 2 Timothy 3 on the screen. This is Paul and he says uh, to Timothy, but know this, difficult times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers without self-control. You see how self-control sits alongside all those other sins. And you see how lots of those sins are because of a lack of self-control. People commit these sins when they don't restrain and control themselves. And he kind of goes on with this and we see the same thing. He keeps saying people will be brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, reckless, that's being not self-controlled, making rash decisions, conceited, lovers of pleasure, indulging your desires instead of controlling them, rather than lovers of God, Holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power, avoid these people. The lack of self-control. We see it as a serious sin, along with many others. Or look at 1 Peter chapter 4, where Peter says, For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the pagans choose to do, the non-believers, carrying on in unrestrained behaviour, no self-control. Evil desires, drunkenness, a lack of self-control with alcohol. Orgies, carousing, that's not controlling sexual desires, and lawless idolatry. He goes on, So they are surprised that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of wild living. It's lack of self-control, isn't it? What else is if that's not? And we could go on and on with other lists in the Bible. So in Galatians 5, Paul says, Strife and outbursts of anger. They are a lack of self-control. They're sin. And in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talks about thieves and greedy people And people who are verbally abusive, they're sins of a lack of self-control. They're giving up, giving in to uh, sinful desires, to steal, to covet, to to tear people down with our words. And on the flip side, there's other passages where self-control is held up as a virtue. In Galatians 5, it's one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, God himself living in us. Self-control. And we're going to get to that. But all this, it starts to reveal a little bit of a definition of this sin to us. What is the lack of self-control? It's about our desires. It's when we give in to our desires. It's when we let our desires go and we give them the free reign that they want to have. It's when we don't stop and consider our desires, and whether this or that desire is good or not, or whether we will, or this desire will lead to something that's good or not. Look what Paul says in Ephesians 2. He's talking about what we are like before we know Christ. He says, We too all previously lived among them, people who don't believe, in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. Or look at James 1. James, he's talking about all people, Christian or not, and he says, But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by His own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. See, the lack of self-control is not controlling your desires, your wants, your, your emotions, your affections. It's letting them go and letting them do whatever they want instead of holding them back for some good purpose. And this kind of happens in two different ways. I kind of hinted at it before. The first is that there's good desires and there's bad desires. See, if we dig a bit deeper, we're just going to keep doing that, keep boring down into this. If we dig a bit deeper, it's not going to be boring. We're boring down, you know that word for digging. Hopefully it's not boring. The thing we have to realise if we dig a bit deeper is that our desires, uh, there are both good desires in us and there are desires that are evil or bad. So there are good desires. We, We have a natural physical desire to eat. For example, hunger is a good and right desire. Being tired and wanting to sleep, is if that's good, even though it doesn't feel good. Uh, it's a good desire. Or emotional desires. We, we long to love people and be loved by them. There are good desires we have. That's how God has made us. But then there are evil desires, God ways that God has not made us to live. The desire for drunkenness is an evil desire. Coveting or wanting to take something that doesn't belong to you, that is a wrong desire. The desire to harm someone or tear them down with spiteful words, that's an evil desire. And when we don't control those desires, well, we fall into sin, the lack of self control. And so we can be unself controlled, I've just made up that word. We can be unself controlled with evil desires. We desire something sinful, we don't restrain ourselves, we give in to that sinful thing. That's the more obvious struggle with a lack of self control. But it can also be more subtle than that, because it's also possible to be unself-controlled with things that are good, with good desires. See, we can be hungry and desire food. Maybe some of you are hungry right now. That's a good and right desire. That's how God has made us. But we can desire food and then be irritable. We can be hungry, and that makes us angry, and so we're hangry. That's the word for it in our world today. And if we don't control that good desire to eat, well, soon enough, we're snapping at people, or we're pushing in a line to get food, or we're eating more than our fair share and someone else misses out. And so even a good desire, if we don't control it, becomes sin, can lead to sin. Sin. Do you see how that, those two things work? The, you can be unself-controlled in both those ways. On the one hand, there's just giving in to outright sinful desires. On the other hand, letting good desires turn bad. And you give in to those good desires, and it impacts others negatively. And so now, we're starting to dig even a little bit deeper. Now we start to see the heart of this sin reveal itself. See, the sin, the lack of self-control, this sin... It's when we don't control our desires, it's when we give in to them, and it affects others for the worse. Do you see that? See, what is a lack of self-control at its heart? It's a love of self. It's a love of self, and it's a lack of love for God and/or a lack of love for others. It actually has to do with the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And a lack of self-control is when we choose to love ourselves over God and over others. It's loving yourself more than God, more than others, so you're not willing to control your desires for God and for others. A lack of self-control is really just selfishness, isn't it? It's being self-focused. It's ignoring God and others and doing what you want. It's not putting God in his rightful place. It's putting ourselves, it's not putting him first. And it's not putting others where God calls us to put them, above ourselves. See, the scriptures say, don't they, don't look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In humility, consider others as more important than yourself. So it should be God, others, yourself, but in our lack of self-control, we say, me above God. Me above others. I'd rather fulfill my desires than control them, curb them, hold them back for the sake of others. And I think we see this really, really clearly in our Old Testament reading. Let's think of a few examples, and hopefully that will make more sense to us. Uh, let's start with 2 Samuel 11. See, last week Phil showed us the aftermath to this story. uh, He showed us the aftermath when the prophet Nathan came to David and said, this is what you've done. 2 Samuel 11 is what David did. So the story starts there. We read it before. I'll just retell it now. The story starts in the spring when kings go to march out to war. So first of all, David, he's meant to be out with his men fighting battles, but what is he doing instead? He's at home in his palace. Why? Why? Maybe it was a desire for comfort or a desire for ease that he was giving into. Instead of loving his people as their king and fighting for them with them, he was serving himself at home. But then what happens as he's at home? Well, he's strolling around his palace, palace balcony, palace, palace balcony, and he sees a woman. He sees a very beautiful woman. He sees Bathsheba bathing. So what happens? His sexual desire is stirred, and what does he do with it? Well, instead of being self-controlled, and instead of controlling his desire, instead of loving God and obeying his command, do not commit adultery, and instead of loving this woman and not lusting for her and objectifying her, and instead of not loving her husband and not taking what is rightfully his, not, not David's, well, he sends for her, and he sleeps with her. His desire wins out. He gives in for his own pleasure. He loves himself instead of loving God and loving others. And then it only gets worse from there because to cover up his tracks, maybe out of a desire to keep his reputation or to not get in trouble, his desire to be secure, it causes him to murder Bathsheba's husband. If that's not a lack of self-control, a lack of love for God, a lack of love for others... Then what is. And you know, we can do the same thing with any other example of a lack of self-control. So you think about drunkenness again. Not controlling your use of alcohol, as we're talking about. So alcohol in and of itself, we need to know this, alcohol in and of itself is not evil. It's a substance God has given us to use with wisdom and care uh, according to his word. But if for whatever reason someone desires alcohol... Well, they have a choice to make, don't they? If they desire the taste or the feeling that alcohol gives, or if they want to fit in with their peers and, you know, drink with their friends, or if they want to dull the pain of their struggles, you know, there's many reasons. Some are okay, and some are not okay reasons to want to drink. But instead of uh, thinking about that desire, instead of controlling that desire and either not drinking at all and finding another constructive way to achieve that desire, Or instead of, if it's an okay reason to drink, instead of stopping at one or two drinks, instead that person gives in and just keeps drinking. Before long, they've put themselves before God. They haven't loved God and obeyed his word. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to reckless actions. They've loved themselves and chased whatever selfish reason for drinking. And chances are, in the process, they haven't loved others either. Because drunkenness is a pretty surefire way to impact others negatively and selfishly. Or another example. Isn't it just so easy to see how this plays out with anger and frustration? See, when we feel angry or frustrated, how easy is it not to control that anger and frustration? We might even have a good reason to be upset, but what do we do? Well, instead of controlling that anger, that frustration, dealing with it, putting it to an end there, will we grumble against God? We thought about that a few weeks ago. We don't love God or we don't love others. And so we start to lash out with our words. We say mean, spiteful things and we relish the idea and the feeling that that gives. We thought about the tongue the other week as well, didn't we? See, instead, we love ourselves and we vent to make ourselves feel better or we we tear people down to puff ourselves up. Do you see how that works? you see how that that lack of self-control is is actually a love of self and a lack of love for God or for others? It's selfishness that hurts and impacts others. We give in to those desires and we hurt others instead of holding ourselves back, restraining those desires, whether they're good or bad desires, for the sake of others and for the sake of God. But now we've started to cross over into the, from the sin to the virtue. See, if Jesus has died for the sin of self-control, and please know that, if Jesus has risen so that we can walk in a new way of life, and if he's freed us from sin and death and the devil, and if he calls us to repent and turn from this sin, well then we need to put it off, and then we need to put on the virtue of self-control. So what is being Self-control Isn't it just the very opposite of what we've been seeing? If a lack of self-control is a lack of love for God and others, then self-control comes from, and it is, a love for God and a love for others. It's putting God first. It's putting others above yourself. That's the heart of self-control. It's controlling those desires, whether good or bad desires, for the sake of God and for the sake of others. And if we keep digging, or well, again, we realize that this virtue is surrounded by and follows other virtues. Virtues like humility, where you lower yourself before God and before others. You make others more important than yourself. Virtues like self-discipline, where over time we practice self-control so that we can have a disciplined life so that where we care for others and we're other person-centered. And isn't this just what generosity is? I constrain myself, I give up my wants, even my needs and my rights, for the good of others. And so I give to them. Self-control out of love for God and love for others. And let me share with you, I've actually just been amazed this week at how the Scriptures just show this. I've been seeing it all over the place. Self-control out of love for God and others. I just want to take us through a few examples, and hopefully it's just like, yeah, look, it's just there at every point of the Scriptures. So in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul, he's talking about sexual immorality. We don't have time to go into all the detail. But you can see he's quoting them, and then he answers their logic. They say, everything is permissible for me. But Paul says, not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible for me, but Paul says, I will not be brought under the control of anything. I will be self-controlled, not controlled by my desires, because I want to do what's helpful. Later, he says, in the same chapter, you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Be self-controlled with your sexual desires, he's saying, out of love for God. Glorify him with your body. Or look at Galatians 5. I find this so striking and so compelling. He says, For you are called to be free, brothers, free from sin through Jesus. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, for sinful desire, But serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Though you are free as a Christian, constrain yourself out of love and serve other people. Or think of uh, Jesus' more famous words, some of Jesus' more famous words, Matthew 16 on the screens. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to come to me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Deny what I want, die to myself, my desires, and do what Jesus wants. Love him. Do you see how it's just everywhere? Or well, think of the example of Jesus. On the night before he died, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, in distress before the cross, what did he say? Not my will, Father, but your will be done. Son loved the Father and submitted to his desires to go to the cross. Or Galatians 2, that wonderful truth that Jesus controlled his desire his comfort, to love me and give his life for me. Let me share this this moment of revelation I had this week. Uh, This week I saw all of this come together in our New Testament reading, in 1 Corinthians 9. See, I wonder if you noticed this as we read these words before. Did you notice the difference between David and Paul? Selfish, unself-controlled, selfless, self-giving self-control. He says, although I am a free man and not anyone's slave, Jesus has set me free. He says, I have made myself a slave of everyone in order to win more people. He goes on and says, I try to become all things to all men and he lists out all these things. He says, I control my desires and wants. I give them up. I even give up my needs and my rights for the sake of others so that they might hear the gospel and be one for Christ. And he compares himself to a runner who trains and competes and has to exercise self-control in everything, ready ready to win the race. And he says, that's me. He says, I discipline my body and I bring it under strict control so that he and his hearers will be saved on the last day. And then a chapter later, I'm giving you lots of Bible, but this is good stuff. A chapter later, he pulls it all together and he sums it up like this. Look at this again. Self-control for the sake of loving others and loving God. This is the attitude we're meant to have. He says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, good desires. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Love him. But also give no offense to the Jews or Greeks or the church of God. Love people. And then he says, I do this. He says, just as I always try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit but the profit of many so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Do you see what he's saying? In effect, he's saying, control your desires, your wants, for the sake of God and for the sake of others. Do what I do, he says, because I'm just doing what Jesus did. Loving God and loving people. Wow, I'm just actually amazed by this, and I hope that you are as well. See, I thought I knew that self-control was important, but I didn't realize just how it permeates all the scriptures and how it's so vital to our godliness and a life of living out the gospel. And it just makes me want to not put up with this respectable sin, a lack of self-control. And it makes me want to grow and foster this virtue, self-control out of love for God and his glory and out of good for others. So how do we do that? What do we do? How do we deal with this respectable sin, a lack of self-control? How do we grow in this uh, neglected virtue, self-control out of love for people? Whereas with other sins and virtues, I think we can grow in this uh, self-control proactively And reactively. So, first, part of dealing with this sin and this virtue is doing what we do with any other sin or virtue. We use God's word, we use prayer, and we use fellowship. I'm repeating myself from the other week. We're saying the same thing again. But we grow when we use God's word, prayer, and fellowship proactively. So, you steep your mind in the scriptures, the scriptures we've seen today, to grow those attitudes of love and self control. And it's good to do that on specific areas of self-control. Fill your mind with scriptures that talk about God's good design for sex, or that he wants us to be at peace and not arguing, or whatever it is, target those areas of self-control with God's word. And then when we notice that we're not being self-controlled in some area, we confess it to God in prayer. And then we know his forgiveness promised in his word. So the word in prayer... Are growing us See, remember the only sin that can be properly dealt with is forgiven sin and so in prayer you bring your sin to the god who loves you and who welcomes the sinner and it's important to say this especially for this area of godliness self-control it's all the more important because if you have a secret sin of, of no self-control. If you have a secret sin of watching pornography or or drunkenness or some other private lack of self-control that no one else knows about except God, of course, then confessing it and bringing it to Jesus and bringing it out of darkness and into the light—it's all the more important. It's vital. And usually, what you need to do is share it with a brother or sister or Christ, a brother or sister in Christ, in order to do that. In order to properly confess it to God and actually mean it in your heart and really know that you are forgiven in Christ, sometimes you need to deal with it in fellowship with a brother or sister, a fellow Christian to help you do that. Because otherwise, what do you do? You never deal with it properly and you keep it a secret and you accept it. Or we we wallow in guilt paralysis. Until we hear the encouragement of a brother or sister in Christ saying, you are forgiven as you turn to Christ. And we hear the gospel from the mouth of a brother or sister who loves us. And of course we need prayer, a prayer that God would change us. Because actually as we think about it, praying that God would change our desires and strengthen our will to be self-controlled, that's just the business that God is in. So of course we would pray. That's the work he does in our hearts. Uh, Never forget Philippians 2. Keep these words in your heart. Paul says, Work out or live out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. God's job description is changing his people's hearts and shaping their desires and giving them a will to live it out. That's what he does by his Holy Spirit. That's what 2 Corinthians 3 says. It says, We are being transformed into the same image, Jesus, from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. God God works self-control in us by his Spirit. So pray, cry out to him to change your desires and to do the work he said he'll do. So grow in proactive self-control with the word prayer and fellowship. But as we have done with other weeks, it's helpful to have a bit of a method to deal with this sin as it comes up, reactively, when it comes up in the moment. See, we can grow in our self-control as we grill our desires. I'm not talking about the desire for a sizzling steak that's grilling on the barbecue that awakens our good desire to eat. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying, as we notice our actions and our attitudes, and we know they're not self-controlled, well, we stop and ask, why? What desires are going on for me right now? And we start to question and cross-examine and interrogate those desires. What are we wanting and seeking in this moment? Why does my heart want this? Why am I going after this? Stop and ask yourself, is this desire a good desire or not? Is it a sinful desire? If it's a sinful desire, the answer is simple, stop God's word is clear. Flee sexual immorality, Paul says. Do not get drunk on wine, he says. In your anger, do not sin. Let no foul language come out of your mouth. The scriptures are clear. Stop, get out of there. Rely on God's strength and choose to love him and others. But keep probing if you're not sure. See, what if you don't know if it's a sinful desire or not? Or what if it's not an outright sinful desire? Well, you keep asking yourself, is this thing that I want to do? Am I loving God or loving people or am I loving myself? How does it affect them? Am I seeking what's best for others? I'm trying to honor God in this moment. And if you probe your heart and if you question your desires, and the answers will tell you what you should do in that moment. Because God will reveal those things to you by his Spirit as you work with him to seek to change your desires, to seek to control them Not because we're trying to always be a killjoy or trying to to hurt ourselves for the sake of some godly motive or whatever. No, we are trying to do things for his glory. Out of love for him. Out of love for others and the good of those around us. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you again for the challenge and the encouragement of your word. and We praise you that uh, the joy of loving others... And the joy of being self-controlled just permeates your scriptures and shows us that it is the way to life and it is the way to joy and it is the way to honour you and love others. Lord, please convict us where we need convicting of our lack of self-control. And please transform our hearts that we might trust in Jesus and live out the desires that you want for our lives so that we might love others and love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.